This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So another great big good morning, folks. Great to have all of you here. Great to have our online audience joining us as well. And, you know, it's, it's, we work really hard on our sermons here. I mean, we work hard on them. They usually start ideating around a year in advance. We work on it, we work on it, we work on it. But one thing I'm really committed to at New Church Live is not to become so married to a plan that we forget the purpose. I don't want to become so married to a plan that we forget the purpose. And part of the purpose of church is, is to, to speak into the world as the world is, including events like we witnessed this weekend. So what that means with today's service is that we're, we're going to do some parts of it that are frankly going to be on the fly, a uh, little improv, because I think it's so important for us to speak to that purpose, because I please get a little amen on that. Amen. That's what we got to do. And that's what we're going to do. So I want to I shift over to here, and I, I want to talk a bit, uh, you know, just some thoughts around this, this event that happened in Pittsburgh, and, and just to share some things. And they, they all come back to this idea, again, like, how do we love like we've never been hurt? Because it's, it's so easy to, again, like, look at that concept and, and sort of hold it at a 10,000-foot level, like a nice frosted lens Hallmark card. And I think what God is always asking us to do is, is this deeper thing, because, because God's love is not, it, it's not superficial. It's not all unicorns and rainbows. It's actually got a gravitas to it, a strength, a courage, even what may appear at times a ferocity that really speaks to that undying love of God that we are here as best we can in ways very, very imperfect to reflect. So would it be all right with you if I share some reflections? Yes. So I'm going to sit down over here and tell you about this weekend. So this, this weekend for me, as many of you know, this will be no surprise if you've been here more than once. I'm from Pittsburgh. Married a Philly girl. That's how we ended up here. But Pittsburgh has always sort of held my heart in a certain way. So I'm down yesterday, and I'm, I'm driving down to Temple because, uh, you know, my son goes down to Temple. I just had a little free time. I thought, oh, I'll run down, take him to lunch. And I'm listening to the radio. And all of a sudden, that announcement comes on, breaking news. And usually that phrase gets overdone a lot, right? You know, breaking news gets said all the time. And, and uh, you know, but it, it caught my attention. And then the announcer comes on, and the announcer says there's been a shooting in a synagogue in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Squirrel Hill, Tree of Life Synagogue. Instant flashback. It's a flashback because my family, being from Pittsburgh, we again grew up out in the sticks outside of the city, but our home church was actually in the city. It was the same church where my mom and dad had been married. And going, going to that church as a kid, uh, you know, very, very often we drive around Squirrel Hill. It was just one neighborhood over. And I know very well the Tree of Life Synagogue. And it was so easy to remember as a kid because when we drive past, literally they had this big Tree of Life right on the side. And the Tree of Life, for those of you who aren't aware, the Tree of Life shows up in the Garden of Eden. 
And then it shows up as well at the end of the Bible. It sort of bookends the Bible. And for both Christians and Jews alike, it's, it's this symbol of hope. New Church holds that if you want to understand our lives, just look at the life of a tree. That idea of hope that, that we have this trunk and that, that we're supposed to do the best we can to be a trunk so we can support branches and fruit and healing and change and beauty. So when I heard that news, it was unsettling. And it was unsettling for another reason as well. My sister's Jewish. I love their family. That was not their synagogue. But that's where my thought went to. I just did my nephew's wedding on my sister's goat farm, which sounds funny, but I just did my wedding on my sister's goat farm just a few months ago for my nephew and his beautiful wife, Sarah. So that really struck home for me in so many ways. And it brings up the question of, again, like, like what can we do? What, what, what are we supposed to do? And I think most of us now, our, our, our default way of doing something is to go on Facebook and to like something or to say something. Nothing wrong with that. There is beauty in the connectedness that social media gives us around these kind of events. And it helps. I'm just not 100% sure it changes the world. So what do we do? What do we do when we're faced with this kind of thing? It seems like over and over and over again. And I think it gets pretty simple. So I drove back, pulled into the new church live office because I was getting ready for a beautiful wedding that we had last night. Many of you were there. And there were some cars there, parked there. And I thought, that's strange. There's cars parked on a Saturday because I wasn't remembering this. So I went inside. And those cars were parked there because a number of our parishioners went to Gift of Life family home. Gift of life. So I called him out and I said, could you just put me on speakerphone for a minute? They said, sure. And I said, thank you guys for just striking one for the good team. And in these times that are so hard and so challenging, what we always can do is the next right thing. Those very simple acts of love that can actually make an immense difference in the world. How many of us, when these happen, and I hope you all raise your hand, feel at least a little bit powerless? Maybe we can do something. Maybe that doing something is things like this. Maybe that doing something is coming here on days like today, saying we are going to stand for an authentic alternative to that. That is a hard journey. There's nothing easy about being part of a church or a synagogue or a mosque or a temple. But I think it matters. 
an authentic alternative. Reimagining community. Reimagining the way life and love can work. Reimagining a world of peace and hope. Something I feel we're called on to do all the time. And that question I said in the prayer, and how do we love? How do we continue to do that in ways big and small? Brings me to a story that I just love. I've actually preached on her before, but I know we got a lot of first-time people, so you're going to hear about her again. One of my heroes in the world, Ruby Bridges. So Ruby, one of the first children to integrate schools after the famous Brown decision. And there's an incredibly powerful story that, 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 a, that a psychiatrist wrote, by, a guy by the name of Robert Coles. And Ruby, Ruby was, was being asked to run this gauntlet every day. A gauntlet filled with hate. I mean, just imagine every day when you're that age, when you're that age, and you're running through a gauntlet of people so offended by you going to their school that they're hurling insults at you that I could not even say here on stage. Just imagine that. Can you think of that? I mean, I get annoyed when somebody cuts me off in traffic on 95. It's nothing compared to what little Ruby Bridges went through. Robert Coles wrote this beautiful article in this book, Finding God at Harvard. Robert Coles was a, was a psychiatrist at Harvard University. And, and it made a lot of sense because Robert Coles is a psychiatrist. He specializes in children and, and, and trauma and all those things. If that was my child, you bet you I'd want to get her some psychiatric care. Somebody to come and talk to her. So we did. And they sat around a table. And here's this very, very learned man. I mean, brilliant. He's still a brilliant, still considered one of the most brilliant psychiatrists in American history. And he's trying to help her, and he's trying to glean, like, where she's coming from. And you know what it comes down to? She kept on saying, it's me paraphrasing here, she kept on saying, I'm fine. I'm Okay. In this world of hate, she continued to make a choice. In this world of hate, she continued to make a choice. And Robert Coles kept on trying to, to understand, to kind of dig underneath it and, and try to figure out some great psychiatric theory as to, as to why she was, was she in pure denial like he didn't know. And I want to read for you just a little bit of what they said. Very short little selection here. Mr. Robert Cole starts speaking. Ruby, I'm still puzzled. I'm trying to figure out why you think you should be the one to pray for such people, given what they do to you twice a day, five days a week. Because the answer she kept on coming up with was she said, look, I'm fine. What's your secret? I pray for them. Let that sink in. Give it two or three seconds. I'm fine. 
Why? Because I pray for them. And he asks her again, like he's trying to figure this out. And I love her answer here. Well, she said, especially it should be me. She knew that as someone on the receiving end of hate, it was actually her absolute responsibility to pray for them. That's a brilliant little girl. Why you especially, Cole's ass? Because if you're going through what they're doing to you, and think of the lines of people here, you're the one who should be praying for them. And then she quoted to me what she had heard at church. The minister said that Jesus went through a lot of trouble and that Jesus said about the people who were causing the trouble, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That's a powerful story. I don't know quite what that means in our lives or your lives, but I think it clearly points to the choices we can make. Choices around love. Choices around simply doing the next right thing. Making the choice, the sacrificial choice to actually build community. I think that's part of it as well. When these moments occur, for me, it's not that I'm struck by like, what's the point of trying to do church in a world that's like this? It makes the point all the more clear why we try to do this. You're sure some weeks it may go by the wayside, some weeks aren't as good as others, or some service opportunities may fall flat. All those things are very true. But events like this should keep pointing us to the purpose, to the meaning, why we're here on earth, and what we're called to build. Isn't interesting in the Bible, this beautiful line that says, a little child will lead them. Ruby Bridges has a lot to say to us on days like today. As the band comes out, as the band comes out for this next song, think about what that means in your heart. Think about the opportunity we have to build something different in our families, in our communities, in our world. Let's just keep through this service just that prayerful place of holding both all the suffering in the world and holding as well the simple peace of hope. Amen. So the, the beauty of that song, right? And can, can, you, can you feel it? Can you feel it? Can you feel it there? It's not that choosing to build these worlds is easy. 
It's not. I love this quote from Emanuel Swedenborg in the book, Heaven and Hell, where he says, and it's, it's just a couple of, couple of words, he said, you know, Jesus came on this earth and he became love. He became love. That's what we're to do as, as best we can is to become love. And our own, again, we're not God. We're not Jesus on earth. We're, we're just, we're, we're trying to do the best we can with the tools we have, oftentimes broken tools. But we can keep looking back at his life and to see it as a model of the best of humanity, how we can live. The exact same way Ruby Bridges did it in her own little grade school way. So I want to share with you a story about that, a story where Jesus clearly has a, a, a choice, a choice about choosing love or not, and how does that look? I'm going to share with you this story, and I'm going to share with you a set of three lessons, and, and these are kind of scattershot, like like usually I, the best sermons, it seems to me, are like lasers in a vacuum. They come to one particular point. That's not going to be this sermon. I'm going to ask you to just think and to pick up the parts that have meaning for you. Because there's a number of ways I think we can hold it. The story starts with this question, who do you think you are? And these are a bunch of, of learned clergy gathered around him. And they're like, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? I'm going to come back to that question in a second. And Jesus replied, and this is very, very common for Jesus, by the way. He almost never directly answers a question. What he does is the question is over here, and he's like, yeah, you're asking the wrong question because actually you're telling the question, so I'm going to fill you in over here. So you're not going to hear a direct answer. Well, this is who I am. You're going to hear a number of thoughts. And remember, these are people who are deeply angry upset, homicidally so. And just listen to some of his responses here. Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar, but you, be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham, and again, this is going back to a, a patriarch of the Jewish tradition 2,000 years before Jesus is speaking here, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad, was filled with joy. And they answered, you're not yet 50 years old. He actually was about 30 at this time. You're not 50 years old, they said to him. And you've seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So I want to kind of pull this story apart, because there's a lot of parts in there that, that probably a lot of you wouldn't necessarily know unless you're a theology wonk. But they're brilliant. And they give us ways to move through times that are filled with hate, to move through times that feel incredibly scary. Now, first, I want to start with this question. Can we go back to the question? Did I have a slide up there for, yeah, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? So who do you think you are? Has that question in human history ever been asked nicely? What's the answer? No. No one ever invited me out to coffee and said, Chuck, I'd love to sit down with you. 
who do you think you are? We don't use that question nicely. It's interesting that Jesus' biggest challenge is that they start picking up stones to stone him. This is exactly where that starts. You pick that question up. You throw it at someone enough. What will you do to their soul? Just shout it out. You'll crush it. Please don't ever, ever use that question. Who do you think you are? And I bet you, you're exactly like me. Who asked you that question the most, folks? Right? How many of us ask that question all the time of ourselves? You better all raise your hands. All the time. Who do you think you are to do that? Who do you think you are to connect with them? Who do you think you are to try that thing you've never tried before? Who do you think you are to actually believe that you can make a difference in this world? Who do you think you are that you can actually be part of the world's healing? Who do you think you are that you can love? Who do you think you are that you can follow Christ? Who do you think you are? How would Jesus answer that question for you? He's not going to ask it. He's going to tell you who you are. And he's going to say, you are this. You are beautiful. You are exactly who I had in mind when I created you. And the beauty of this story is Jesus goes on and makes these beautiful references that, that back to the Bible, back to the Old Testament, that, that carry such great power with them. You look at these lines, like the next line that comes up. Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. And think of that as light, light coming through us. My father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you don't know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I'd be a liar like you, but I do know him and I obey his words. And obey there means listen, like I listen. I listen to this light that is flowing through. That's what glorify means. I'm listening to the light that is flowing through. What might be the lesson from this, lesson one? It's largely not about you. Isn't it interesting again, and I preached on this a few weeks ago, but it feels germane again, that that word self-consciousness, nobody likes to feel self-conscious, right? See, and that's when we make it about us. And here Jesus is saying, no, it's not about you. It's about doing the best you can to let God's light shine through you. Because that's what God wills to do. Our job, get the bad cholesterol out of the way. That's known as repentance for sin. Get the optics aligned as best we can. You know, and, and the way to do that, folks, is simply this, just wake up. That's it. It's our job is just to wake up. God's gonna do the work. God's the doer. Just wake up. 
Allow that light to flow. That's how we glorify God. Then the lines go on. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, now that line again, like what is that? A 2,000 year old guy and reference back and saying rejoiced and, and, and it's going back all that. And he's saying, well, wait, this guy 2,000 years ago saw it and was glad he saw this day today. What does he saw it mean? Well, Abraham, what did Abraham, this ancient patriarch, see? Well, this is what he saw. And God called Abraham out of his tent. And he brought him into the middle of a sky filled with stars. And he said, this is my promise to you. Does that give you chills? This is my promise to you. A sky filled with stars. A sky filled with this. There is a hope-filled promise out there. There is a hope-filled promise out there. Doesn't mean, again, the work is easy. But it means we have to hold on to that dream. Did, did Ruby Bridges fully understand it as she's running that gauntlet a couple of times a day? Probably not fully. But she lived that promise. And it's hope-filled. And it's not, folks, objective hope. I, I say this a lot. Like, like, probably a lot of you prayed to win the lottery last week. I did. And, and, and you know, did it come true for anyone in here? No. <laughs> I want to see, Angela wants to see you after church. Yet, you know, like, like it's not that objective hope. It's, it's, it's this hope. And I say this all the time because I think it's so important. It's hope that is love stretching into the future. I know people who had heartbreaking weeks. I can't promise them tomorrow's going to be better or God's going to give me some secret incantation. None of that. But what I 100% know is that love stretches into the future. That that love constantly stretches into the future. I know that in my soul, down to my DNA. I think that's what he's talking about here. Saying, I can't quite explain it. I can just show you a, a, a sky filled with stars, a brilliant night, and I just need you to love that, and I just need you to trust that. Just trust it. Don't test it. Just trust that it's there. In the next passage, very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Now that I am, it makes no grammatical sense. If a student had written that to me, I'd said, you're confusing your tenses, all that stuff. But actually, that I am is a very deliberate statement. I'm going to step back over here for a minute. That I am goes back to the other Jewish patriarch, Moses. And Moses is wandering in this wilderness. And he's waiting for the call for his life. 
Like, what is he supposed to do? And he sees a bush consumed by flame. And God is in this voice and, and comes out this voice that comes out of the bush. And God says, and let's say it all together, folks. Let's say those last two words. And God says, I am. That's how God defines himself, like I am. So God asks us to define ourselves as well. I am. Blessed and broken. Again, the line between saint and sinner going right down the middle. Not going this way between you and me. The beauty of the I am and the beauty of this moment where, where like God testifies to who God is and it's in the middle of a wilderness. It's in the middle of a desolate time. And here's Jesus in this axial moment, putting another axis down, saying, I am. Saying, I am. Coming back over here. The way that the story goes on is that we need to remember his dignity and presence within you, within us. I mean, the word Emmanuel, we're coming to Christmas in the not-so-distant future. The word Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. Not a punitive, angry God out there, but God with us. So he answers these things, and then the story goes on. And they pick up stones to stone him. They pick up stones. Again, this, this who do you think you are? When you think about building things, when you think about lives come alive through love, when you think about somehow, some way, pushing aside as best you can the hurts of life, death by a thousand paper cuts, can we just push it aside a little bit? Because if we don't push that aside, this is kind of what we're left with. Throwing stones at each other, throwing stones at ourselves, not a world I think any of us want for ourselves or for our children. So as we go through these times, thinking about, well, what do we do then? What do we do then? We've got a rock in our hand. What are the lessons? Take a look at this next slide. What are the lessons maybe we can think about? We've got those three, and here's just some other ones to think about. When we've got that rock in our hand, and think of that as the opposite of love. We've got that rock in our hand, be that in small, intimate relationships, be that with our married partners, be that with our kids, be that with our families, be that with our community. What might we try to remember? Well, number one, there is a quiet choice to not take offense and to speak clearly. To choose to not take offense and to speak clearly. 
I mean, what if that shooter in Pittsburgh just simply had not taken, he was taking offense over crazy things? What if he just simply chose not to be offended? We wouldn't have had Saturday if that was true. It doesn't mean, of course, in our lives, just like Ruby Bridges, we are to speak clearly. We are to speak truth to power. We are to speak what is true. Notice what I said. We are to speak what is true. But we're to do that from love as well. There is a quiet forgiveness, not a demand for apology. Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That kept that little girl psychologically intact in a situation none of us can even imagine. I know for me, I am much better at waiting for an apology than I am offering forgiveness. Can I get a little amen on that? Right? Probably a bunch of you like waiting for an apology from them. You might even be sitting by them right now. Let it go. Let it go. Forgiveness. There is using the ugly to learn quietly, beauty and healing. Moments like Saturday, that's the ugly. But what we can do is we can learn quietly beauty and healing if we choose to do that. Just so you guys know, that's Mr. Rogers. I grew up in that area, you know, as a kid going to church. Now, that's Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, literally. Mr. Rogers, somebody's going to shout it out here. Mr. Rogers said, anytime there's a tragedy, you are to look for the, look for the helpers. Pulling the best we can out of what are ugly moments. Number three, there is a quiet, four, there is a quiet reminder of people, quiet reminder to people of who they really are, allowing them to find that true self without coercion. I think so much of that that we're trying to do is we're, we're trying to consistently return people to themselves. Trying to consistently return people to the better angels of their nature. No one has ever been returned to the better angels of their nature this way. Including you. No one's ever been returned to the better angels of their nature this way. And last, there is a time to quietly leave and put down that rock. There's a time to just quietly leave, just as Jesus did. And just put down the stone. We may not have all the answers here, but we can live the answer as best we can as God gives us to see it. One loving step taken each day to bring healing to the world. Can I get an amen? Amen. And we're going to close the service a little bit differently today. I don't know if we'll be able to fit everybody up here or not. But because these moments are, are poignant, what I'd love to do, if you would like to, nobody has to, I'd love for you to join me up here and we're gonna say a prayer together up here and we're all gonna get like a big holy huddle right in here and we'll say a prayer and then we'll, band will lead us in a last song. 
So if you'd like to, please come join me right up here for the last prayer. Scooch around right in here and scooch on in close. Well, hold up. Yeah, scooch on in. Scooch on in. Scooch on in. There we go. God would say this. You would say, who are you? And you would say, you are beautiful. That you can make a difference in this world. That you can choose love. That you can remember no matter what, how hard the time is, that love wins. And we can pick up a new stone. A stone that's labeled Hope of the way the world can be. Hope that God has us in the world that he intends us to heal. Hope that every single one of you knows in your soul that you, that you are part of this answer. Dear Lord, Thank you for bringing us together as a congregation today. And Lord, allow us just for 30 seconds to hold those suffering, our Jewish brothers and sisters. Allow us just to hold them tenderly in our hearts, Lord. Just a moment of silence. stretches into the future to help us, Lord, on our path forward. Let it be a path, Lord, that we find building through our lives, building towards a joy, towards a happiness, towards a singing, towards a dance that is your way, that is your life, that is heaven, building towards a peace, a peace that passes all understanding, that build towards the sure knowledge you are with us, that you never leave us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down by the green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell. We will dwell in your house forever. 
be with us, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 